0: This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. A decade-old cold case appeared to be solved when a traffic citation led to the arrest of this mother of two. Only 13 years old at the time, would a jury believe that she was really capable of murder? This is the Angel Bumpus story. Megan, do we have some updates? Oh, yes. Wow. Amy. <laughs> yeah. Let us have it. Before we get into today's episode, we need to talk about a couple of things. Okay. Now, Sherry Papini. Well, as our listeners know, we did an update that, you know, Sherry Papini was arrested. Sherry also pled guilty to lying to a federal officer and mail fraud. Mm -hmm. And two days after Sherry's plea, Keith filed for divorce and full custody of their children. Yeah, I'm not surprised. No, you're not. No. Yeah, it's so sad because it's the children that are really feeling the effect of all this. And as Keith said in a public statement... He said he does not want anything in the pleadings connected to this matter that would, quote, inflame the situation or attract media attention. Yeah, He's at the point where, as he says, he just wants a safe, loving environment for his children. I believe that. I think some people wonder, like, what was the catalyst? Is it because she pled guilty? Like, why is he now filing for divorce? Mm-hmm. And the only thing we know is he said, quote, Sherry has not been acting in a rational manner. Mm -hmm. I don't think she has been for quite some time.
1: No, but it might be, this might be, I mean, her taking the plea, like she has to fully admit that she, she, this was a ruse and, and maybe, you know, maybe he just didn't know the full extent.
0: That's true. And Sherry's attorney also released, Sherry's attorney also released a statement. Sherry says that she is quote, deeply ashamed for the pain that she caused family and friends and all the good people who needlessly suffered because of my story and those who worked so hard to help me. I will work the rest of my life to make amends for what I have done. So at least she's showing some remorse. and mm-hmm. um, We'll see what happens. July 11th is her sentencing. I'm very curious. So, Speaking of sentencing, uh, we have another update. We have a huge update. Very recently, on April 25th, the highest criminal court in Texas has halted the execution of Melissa Lucio.
1: Wow, with three days to spare, right? It was just a few days to spare. Two days to spare, Megan.
0: Yeah. I Remember I said, I bet you they're going to wait till the wire. Yeah. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's postponed indefinitely, her execution. Right. I saw, is she getting a retrial? So what happens here is the case gets returned to the lower court to resolve the issues Mm -hmm. that were highlighted. So the lower court will hold a hearing to consider some new evidence and determine whether a new trial is warranted. Wow! And we don't have to go through this whole thing, but the two main issues that they're considering is the prosecution's use of false testimony regarding previously unavailable scientific evidence, Mm -hmm. and also whether or not the prosecution suppressed evidence that would have been favorable to Melissa. So this is huge. Very big. And as you saw, you know, she had bipartisan support from legislators, celebrities, and I think this just shows that when people make noise, you know, people listen. I think that's true. So we will be keeping a very close eye on this case. Oh, yes. Yeah, we'll definitely want to
1: keep people updated. I want to keep myself updated on it. Yeah.
0: And Megan, there was, I believe, an update on one of the cases you covered.
1: Yeah, we posted this. It was an update on the story of Shannon Christian and Chris Newsom. One of the most gruesome cases. It really was. So uh, one of the defendants, remember there were five, Eric Boyd, mm-hmm. he was convicted. He was the last to be convicted. Yeah in 2019 for kidnapping, sexual assault, and murder. The Tennessee Supreme Court denied his bid. They're not gonna hear his appeal. So he That works for me. That works completely for me.
0: So I'd say we have some good news updates. I think so. Yeah.
1: No, I think that, yeah. you know, well, I'm not sure I would call the Sherry Papini one a good news updates, but the, certainly the Melissa Lucio yes, and of the resolution on, of on this appeal.
0: And thank you to our followers on Instagram who make sure the second these things drop, Megan, they are sending us the update. So I really appreciate it. And I love hearing everyone's opinions on what's going on. I do as well. Before we get started today, you know, we have some new supporters. All right, Megan, you want to start us off? Yes, we have Kaylee. Joni from Southern California,
1: Karen, a.k.a. K-Mac, I love it. I want to call myself M-Mac now. <laughs> Megan
0: Alabaugh, Demetra, Annabelle, Michelle, and... A big thank you to Jennifer Chesser, Michelle Arietta, Vanessa, Marina, Kristen Andrus... And Carrie, who has a few friends who listen, and they now talk about the cases. Oh, I love it. Thank yeah. you so much. Speaking of supporters, I had the most fabulous weekend. Oh, that's right. Didn't you meet with a couple of women who yes. listened to the show? So Regina, a colleague slash friend, said that her and her family listen to the podcast. And she they have a book club. And she said, why don't you come on over and we can talk podcasts." Hold on, Megan. I just saw someone posted a picture on Facebook. Look at these lovely women. Oh my gosh. And they were so smart and they had such interesting theories. It was just really fabulous. And I told them next time you would be coming. But it sounds like fun. It's like what we like to do. And there's a, a lot of them are nurses. So I told them all about one of our upcoming episodes. They'll be very excited about, yes. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, it was great. I look forward to meeting them, and I'm glad you had a good time. Thank you. We have something exciting coming up on May 12th at 11 a.m. I will be holding a Zoom class for our patrons. If you cannot make it, do not worry. We will make it available for you to watch at a later date. So if you are a patron at the $10 or up tier, then please come join us on May 12th at 11 a.m. to see what it's like to Sit in one of our classes. All right, exciting. All right, shall we finally get into today's case? We shall. All right, let's do it. Megan, have you ever heard of the Angel Bumpus story? I have not. I'm shocked. There's so little coverage on this case. I think it's shocking that it did not make national news. And this case came from a listener. So every time we get, you know, we have hundreds of suggestions, but every time we get a suggestion, I do a quick Google just to get an idea of the case. And then I Put it on a different, depending on which list I want it to go on. Exactly. This case, I read a few sentences and I was like, this isn't real. I was Yeah, so I knew, and you'll see why, I knew that there was no way this case was going to the bottom of the list. So I moved it right up to the top and bumped out a different one. All right, I can't wait to hear it. And there's also not many articles on this case. There is some chatter on Reddit, Twitter, and blogs, but obviously we can't rely on that information because it's not reliable. But it's still interesting to read some public theory. So what I report here, I did gather from what we would consider reliable sources. Angel was born on March 3rd, 1995 to 16-year-old Tamika Bumpus in Tennessee. When Angel was just six years old, her mother was convicted of aggravated assault. And now this was after shooting a police officer when she was attempting to escape from custody. You're kidding me. No. So she was being transported from one jail to another facility. Now, the original charge was something like forgery, a nonviolent charge. But in the van, she took the officer's handgun and shot the officer in the chest and then shot a passerby and stole his truck. Oh my God. Now, luckily the officer had survived and Tamika was apprehended very quickly afterwards. Wow. So Tamika had pled guilty to 30 charges that were against her. And these were all stemming from both the attack and the attempted escape. So in August, 2020, Tamika was sentenced to 40 years in prison to be followed by five years probation. So she will not be eligible for parole until 2042. Mm. Okay, so after her mother's incarceration, Angel was raised by her grandparents in what she considered a strict environment with several younger siblings. However, strict didn't necessarily mean stable as her grandmother Shirley had several run-ins with the law and Angel's brothers and her uncles also had several arrests and incarcerations themselves.
1: Not a good start here.
0: No, but despite her home life, Angel excelled in school, she was an honor roll student, and she was described as a nice but quiet kid. Mm-hmm. Now, at the age of 16, she would decide to leave home to start a life of her own in Louisville, Kentucky. So it seems like maybe she wanted a different life for herself because those around her were not really living lawfully. Maybe she just wanted a fresh start. Sure. Fast forward now to the summer of 2018. Angel was a 23-year-old mother of two girls living in Kentucky. She was in her second year of school at the Jefferson Community and Technical College, and she had just recently been accepted to a nursing program, which was set to begin that August. She was also working a full-time job. Wow. Yeah, so she definitely, you know, wanted a different life for herself, and everything appeared to be in order, and it looked like Angel had a bright future. Hard worker. Yeah. Now, that is until there was a knock on the door in the early morning hours of June 14th, 2018. At the door were two detectives with a warrant for her arrest for a violent crime that had occurred almost a decade earlier. Okay. I know you have a lot of questions, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting. Okay, so let's flash back now to the day of the crime. The crime in which Angel was arrested had occurred on January 16th, 2009. Now, Angel was just 13 years old at this time. Now, that day was pretty much an average normal day for Angel. She went to school. She was just in eighth grade at the time, and then she went home. She was living again with her grandparents, and they were in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Meanwhile, about 11 miles outside of Chattanooga in Washington Hills, Lisa Bonner had come home to find her husband, 68-year-old Franklin Bonner, duct-taped to a chair and not breathing. Oh, my gosh. Almost all of his body was covered in duct tape, including his arms, feet, nose, mouth. Now, this was excessive, and you could see it online. Okay. It almost looked as if there was a lot of emotion behind it. It was duct-taped up, down, right? You know, it was just... Looked like it was frantically, his whole face was like mummified in duct tape. Wow. The home was also ransacked. Cabinets were open. There was a table turned over. Things were thrown around. Lisa said she immediately tried to cut the duct tape off of Franklin's face, but it was clear, unfortunately, that he was already deceased. And the county medical examiner would indeed determine that Franklin's cause of death was suffocation.
1: Oh, that's sad.
0: Yeah, so Lisa and Franklin had been married for over 20 years and they had two children together. Franklin was a very hardworking man and he had both legal and illegal jobs. Legal and illegal. Yes. Okay. So he was a public works employee. Some reports say he was a retired, others say he was still currently working there. But he also made money as a numbers runner for his community. Do you know what that is? Like a bookie. Yeah, it's like an illegal lottery scheme um, where he would, you know, collect money. And we see these often in, you know, poor working class areas. It's not as common today as it once was, but it was right. it was pretty common. He also sold small amounts of marijuana, mostly to just people he knew, to close family and friends. Now, the police suspected that the motive was robbery because of Mr. Bonner's associations and the state of the home. But they did not have many leads on the case at all. The only tip they received was from a federal inmate named Nicholas Cheaton, who said that he believed his cousin Mallory Vaughn was responsible for the crime. Now, Cheaton said that he had heard Vaughn confess to robbing and killing Bonner. This claim, however, was dismissed on the premise that Cheaton was saying it to get his sentence reduced. Right, that happens. Yeah, and there was no corroborating evidence. So I think that's the right move. I mean, it's unclear, though, if it was ever investigated. There's not much information, but we do know that since there was a lack of corroborating evidence, it seems as though that's why charges against Mallory didn't go forward. Okay. Okay, aside from the lack of leads, there was possibly another reason why this case would end up turning cold. During the investigation, the detective in charge of the case, Carl Fields, he was fired from the Chattanooga Police Department. Now there were multiple allegations against him, including sexually harassing a woman whose rape case he was investigating. It was also being alleged that he was coaching witnesses and tampering with evidence. So, okay, that doesn't look great to have your lead detective under um, investigation for various complaints yeah. and mm-hmm. crimes. Yeah, and there was even some speculation that Fields had either tampered with the evidence in the Bonner case or had not investigated fully, which. It seems to be the case from what we know about the original investigation. Okay. Regardless, the case remained cold for nearly 10 years until, again, that knock on the door in 2018. So over those nine years, Franklin's wife and children had never stopped seeking justice for him, and they advocated for authorities to please take another look at the case. Of course. So the cold case unit with the DA's office finally reopened the investigation with help from the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations and the FBI they retested fingerprints that were found on the duct tape that was used to restrain the victim because they wanted to see if there were any new hits in the system. Mm -hmm. This is where the connection to Angel is established. Uh,
1: Ah, CODIS hit. Yep. So she,
0: Angel, had failed to appear in court for a speeding ticket that she received a year prior. So she was taken in and fingerprinted, as is protocol. Mm -hmm. So now her prints were on file. And two of the 11 prints from the duct tape, the duct tape yielded 11 prints. Two of those 11 prints matched Angel bumpus they were partial prints though keep that in mind and they were found on the sticky side of the tape huh okay you know there's nine other fingerprints that were of unknown origin and they never turned up any leads as far as I could find okay so back to the early morning hours in the summer of 2018 police arrested and charged Angel with first degree murder and attempted aggravated robbery wow yes She was held on $30,000 bond and she denied any knowledge of the crime and she pled not guilty.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's what I would expect. I also feel like you said she was living in a house with a lot of
0: people too, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. We're going to unpack that. All right. So Angel goes to trial and she has a co-defendant.
1: Who's her co-defendant? Her
0: co-defendant is Mallory Vaughn.
1: Remember that name? The name that was the case was dropped against because yeah. there was no credible
0: evidence. Yep, he was the cousin of that informant who said that he had that Mallory had confessed to the murder. So this trial begins in October of two thousand and nineteen. So why was Mallory brought back into this? I'm wondering what evidence could there possibly be. Well, prosecutors knew that they had to establish how a five foot tall, thirteen year old. That weighed less than 100 pounds could possibly restrain a 68-year-old Franklin Bonner. Right. Now, prosecutors claim that Bumpus met up with then 26-year-old Mallory Vaughn after school and walked to Bonner's house with the intent of robbing him. The motive the prosecution was pushing was that Angel and Vaughn targeted Bonner because he had money and marijuana. And they assume that because of the placement of the fingerprints, that Angel was the one that restrained Bonner. Right. Well, when you told me um, about the duct tape Mm
1: -hmm. and the the restraint, I immediately thought 13 year old girl, uh, I don't know.
0: Uh, uh, Yeah, it doesn't.
1: It's like reminds me of Melanie's (laughs) case where it's like, you know, they needed her to have an accomplice because she she couldn't have accomplished this on her own. So, okay, exactly. They need an accomplice here.
0: Just when I thought things couldn't get stranger, the state decided to try them together as co-defendants. Do they even know each other? These two did not know each other. <laughs> Let's talk about joint trials for a minute. Okay. So joint trials occur when a judge merges cases. Now, this typically happens when issues overlap enough to make a single trial both fair and efficient for obviously both defendants, but also the state, right? Mm-hmm. So in some cases, a judge may rule that it's inappropriate if they feel that it impedes on the right to a fair trial. But it does streamline the process. And, you know, sometimes it makes sense. In this case, I'm going to argue it does not make much sense, Megan. Mm-mm. The defense can actually file a motion of severance, which would, you know, the judge can say, let's try it together. And the defense can file a motion. To my knowledge, either the motion was denied or just never filed. I'm not really sure. But ultimately, it is up to the judge. Research and case law has noted that jointer trials can be very prejudicial. It's not a really good strategy most of the time. Yeah, I don't think so. A key piece of evidence that the prosecution used was Angel's grandmother, Shirley. She was the last person to call Bonner. And some reports say that she was also the last person to see him alive. Now, remember I said he dealt marijuana? Yeah. She was one of his customers. Right. The presumption was that Angel could have known the victim. So this sounds a little bit confusing, because why would this work against Angel and not Shirley?
1: That's what I was thinking. But you said the fingerprints.
0: It's the fingerprints. And, you know, I think if anything, they said, oh, that makes sense, because that establishes a connection between Angel and Bonner. Mm -hmm. Now, Shirley did admit that she had called the victim to buy marijuana. But when she took the stand, she actually recanted and did not admit to calling him that day and talking to him that day. You're kidding me. No, So she denied talking or buying marijuana from Bonner that day. Shirley had explained that although she helped raise Angel, she and her husband never actually had legal custody of her and that they had lost contact with her when she was 16. So I don't know if this was to distance herself from Angel. Angel's grandfather also testified saying that, yes, he went to Bonner's house very often for repairs. And it's very possible that he could have left one of his rolls of duct tape there. And he also said that Angel often worked with the duct tape to do projects and crafts at home, to do projects and crafts at home. So this seems to me an explanation for why Angel's prints could have been on the duct tape.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I I figured there was an explanation like that.
0: Yeah. And both grandparents testified that, to their knowledge, Angel had never stepped foot in Bonner's house.
1: Got it. Okay.
0: But despite their associations with the victim, neither Shirley nor her husband were ever labeled suspects in the crime at all which I'm not really sure why, but.
1: Spring is in the air and that means it's time for a refresh. I'm talking about luxuriously soft and stylish loungewear, pajamas and bedding from Cozy Earth. I'd live in this loungewear full-time if that was an option. In fact, it's pretty much the option right now, just so you know. I actually have a couple of sets of the bamboo pajama sets. I have both the long sleeve one for when it's a little bit colder, and I have the short sleeve one because now that I'm pregnant, I'm sleeping a little bit hotter these days. And between the short sleeve pajama set and my bamboo sheets, my sleep is like a dream. You literally can't go wrong with cozy earth. And the reason why is because Cozy Earth products are made with soft, temperature-regulating viscose from bamboo. This is the secret ingredient. My favorite products are the sheets because the sheets are my every night sleeping. I have finally found the sheets that I sleep the most comfortably in, and especially because I sleep cool, and that's what I need for a comfortable night of sleep. Best of all, Cozy Earth products come with a 100-night sleep trial. That means that you can sleep on it and wash it for up to 100 nights. And if you're not in love, you can return it for a full refund. Fall in love with everyday luxury at Cozy Earth. Go to CozyEarth.com and enter our promo code CRIME, C-R-I-M-E, at checkout for up to 35% off. That's
0: CozyEarth.com, promo code CRIME. There's something else worth noting. Although they were being tried together, Angel and Mallory Vaughn were both adamant that they did not know each other and there was zero evidence from anyone saying that these two, as little as were acquaintances, there's nothing. Isn't this a problem for the
1: prosecution? They have to
0: establish some type of connection or there
1: has to be a way. You would think, wouldn't you? I would think. I would think that would absolutely be part of the strategy to at least draw some loose connection.
0: There were even witnesses who testified against Vaughn saying that they had no idea who Angel was and that Vaughn never said anything about Angel's involvement with him. Okay. Now, many of Angel's supporters Fault the defense, claiming that they failed to present a credible character profile of Angel. The defense also never received the duct tape to conduct their own analysis. Do you know why? Why? The prosecution said it was no longer available, only photos of the duct tape. I'm not quite sure why this is okay. It's not. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I was digging, digging, digging to find more information what is on no this. no longer available? Oh, maybe they're saying it was yeah, degraded they or they just- dis- I had guess. I don't know. Regardless, the defense didn't provide an alternate narrative, and we know how important it is for there mm. to be a story. Jurors want to hear a story. So a lot of Angel supporters say that the defense did not put on a good case. Did she have private counsel? She did have she had two private defense attorneys who, from my research, seem to be pretty competent as far as their accomplishments listed on their websites. That original detective, Carl Fields, who was fired for planting evidence in another case, he also wasn't brought up in the case. Uh-huh, yeah. A lot of people suspect that they thought it was a slam dunk. Now something I'm confused about and I'm our listeners might be and Megan I don't know if you know the answer but I'm I'm having trouble understanding why if Angel was arrested when she was 23 for a crime that allegedly occurred when she was 13 why is this case not in a juvenile courtroom
1: Yeah I actually think that's kind of discretionary case by case I think there's an argument that you can make you know for it for a juvenile trial but I think that they're allowed to also because she is an adult and where is she going to serve her time?
0: Yes, but it just seems- Not going
1: to serve it at a juvenile facility. So maybe that's, I'm not really sure the answer.
0: Because if you think about it, you want to think like retroactive and when people are, you know, if you commit a crime today, let's say marijuana is illegal. I smoke marijuana today, tomorrow it's no longer illegal. It's still not okay that I smoked it yesterday. Right. So it, it seems like it would fall under that. But regardless, the defense's main focus was the timeline- They said that Angel would not have had enough time given the time the school bus dropped her off and the location of the murder, which was 2.5 miles away from her bus stop. So this would have ended up leaving Angel with less than 30 minutes to complete the crime. And as I mentioned, the crime was, you know, it wasn't just a quick, you know, um, gunshot wound. There was a lot of duct tape and a lot of damage in the household. So they focused on this unlikely scenario that a 13-year-old girl could have been involved in this crime.
1: They, seems like a real, this seems real thin to yeah, me. Yeah, they
0: really focused on, you know, where's the motive? No one was able to establish a motive. There's no history of drug use, no history of violence. Really, Angel had no history. Uh, you know, she was very young, but even at 13, you know, she never got in trouble. She had no bad associations that anyone could find. Right. Unfortunately, though, despite the clear lack of evidence, on November 21st, 2019, Angel was found guilty of first-degree felony murder an attempt to commit a specially aggravated robbery. So let me explain what those charges actually mean. Mm-hmm. So in most states, felony murder is characterized as first-degree murder and then carries a similar sentence. So when anybody dies during the commission of a felony, that's when an, an individual can be charged with felony murder. Now, the a- attempt to commit a specially aggravated robbery, Right. so aggravated is when there's force or threat of force. Now, this especially aggravated is when the victim suffers bodily harm and there is a use of a deadly weapon. So that was a little confusing to me because... Is the duct tape the deadly weapon? The definition of deadly weapon in Tennessee is any item capable of causing death. Well, that it is. I guess, but it just seems very, I don't know, it seems like very backwards, but the jury after only 4.5 hours of deliberation sentenced Angel to 60 years in prison. And she will not be eligible for release until 2070 when she is about 85 years old. This is shocking. What about her co-defendant, you say? Okay, what about her co-defendant? Despite the testimony from the now federal inmate, Nicholas Cheaton, alleging that Vaughn confessed to the murder, he was found not guilty on all counts.
1: That is so weird. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't have any physical, they didn't have any physical
0: evidence tying him to the scene, yeah, listen, but still. I mean, I think this was the right call given that there was, like you said, no evidence that tied him or linked him at all. We should always be skeptical of these jailhouse informants or incentivized witnesses because, you know, there's an incentive. Usually always. they're trying to get something. And, you know, one of the leading factors in wrongful convictions is the use of incentivized testimony. So yeah. I, I was happy to hear that that testimony did not hold weight. But now you're looking at a situation where 13-year-old Angel committed this crime by herself.
1: Well, no, they might've also thought that she had an accomplice, it just wasn't him.
0: Yes, I I think you are right. But I think, you know, I guess the fact that they were co-defendants, I think it was very surprising to people that in this case of them being co-defendants, that one was found not connected at all and I think the main issue for Angel was that there was no fingerprints to link Vaughn to the scene, and they had two partial prints of Angel. So I think that let Vaughn off the hook, and unfortunately- Please tell me the case doesn't end here. Please tell me there's some developments. Is there an appeal? Like, there's an appeal? Okay. Like, there's got to be something. Her case did not get a lot of national attention, but luckily, in May of 2020, her case was on A&E's hit show, Accused, Guilty or Innocent. Have you ever seen that?
1: You know, I felt like I knew every crime show, but I don't know that one.
0: So it's a good one. So because of that, her case gained some traction, I would say. And she attempted an appeal in December 2019 and then again in April of 2021. But her appeal has been put on hold several times because of COVID. COVID, yes. So the court had rescheduled for actually January 7th, 2022, but... That hearing never happened. So the only other thing I could find is that her next hearing is on February 25th, 2022. Is this her first appeal? Yes, I believe so. This is her first, let's um, keep saying she attempted appeal. So I guess so. When was her conviction again? November 2019. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So, you know, she's been incarcerated for about under three years. So, I mean, if she's innocent, that's way too long. But hopefully these appeals will move forward. So, I mean, so I see really maybe two main areas for uh, probable issues on appeal. I'm curious if, you know, if okay. you agree. Okay. What? So I think she can claim ineffective counsel based on what we know.
1: I'm sure she can, but you realize everyone claims ineffective counsel and this the bar is very high. I mean, the bar is like your counsel had to be pretty much sleeping at the desk. You're not wrong. I'm just saying that's a hard one to
0: prevail on. Yeah, I think you're right, because I think the only thing she has to go on is really the attorney's decision not to investigate or maybe present a defense that would help her out. And that resulted in, you know, an unreasonable outcome. Mm-hmm. But I okay. think, like you said, I don't think that'll stick.
1: You remember our friend John Sekanik? Yes. When he spoke on direct appeal, he basically said Anytime ineffective counsel is raised, the, the response is trial strategy. Yep. So that's just something that always has stuck with me.
0: Yeah. And I think here it could be, I think I could very clearly see that argument. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I agree that her counsel was ineffective. I don't know enough about the case. Got it. So the other one would be the fingerprint evidence. Now, I find it curious that none of her fingerprints were found anywhere else on the home surface. So is it possible that she ransacked that house? The victim had so much tape on him and yet... None of her hair was found, no fingerprints anywhere else in the home, no other evidence linking her to that scene. Now, is it possible that the tape could have already had her fingerprints on it and had been, you know, taken from her home? Yeah, but what's the appealable issue, though? The use of the the tape? Because it's evidence
1: and there's fingerprints on it, so... Is it junk science because of the interpretation
0: of it? Yes. I think that the issue becomes, which I don't know if this will go into ineffective counsel, but they didn't have a fingerprint expert for the defense. And remember, these were partial prints. I think the, actually, I think the bigger issue would be inability to access the
1: evidence. Yes. I think Mm -hmm. that's an appealable issue. They should have the same right to examine the evidence that, you know, the prosecution has. So I think like the- you know, what is not available? I don't know the evidence. Maybe the issue is, should the evidence have been allowed if it wasn't allowed to be um, discovered by defense?
0: And why was it destroyed or not available? Yeah, I don't know what not available means. Yes, yeah, that that's seems definitely. strange. So I
1: could see that being the issue on appeal.
0: Now, what do you think about the fact that there were nine unidentified prints on the duct tape? I know that's not an appealable issue, but. I think that it probably was in
1: a household with a lot of people or there were a couple of people who committed this crime. And it belongs to one of them.
0: And it's no longer available for testing anyway. Right. So there's not much that could be done. Megan, there's been a lot of wrongful convictions and subsequent exonerations based on faulty fingerprint analysis, especially partial fingerprint analysis. So I think we can file this under junk science. Well, I was
1: also thinking that because fingerprint analysis is not an exact science. You have to match, you know, a certain number of points. And it is open to interpretation. So- What do you have any cases like that come to mind?
0: Um, one case that comes to mind is Lana Cannon. Have you heard of that case? Out of Indiana, she was convicted in 2002 for the murder of her neighbor, and really her conviction was based on fingerprint evidence that they said at the time it was a level one basic comparison. Okay, and once they redid, I guess, the comparison. Then they saw that, you know, the fingerprint couldn't be used against her because it wasn't really an exact science. wasn't a match. It
1: wasn't an exact match, you're
0: saying. didn't match on all the points. Yeah. And it could have been, it could have maybe include that person, right. but it could also maybe include hundreds of other people as right. well. So right. the only other thing that seems to be interesting in this case is two of her brothers had had a conversation that was recorded from prison. Because as we know, all conversations are recorded, right? I know. And they, talk, they were talking about the case and one brother told the other one what happened. And one said, you know, she was, if this would have happened when she was 13. And then he goes, think real hard about it. Like, and it's just like a cryptic, like no one, I don't, it doesn't Is make sense. It could be. Yeah. Okay. So the two brothers are saying like, oh, did you hear like Angel got, you know, picked up for the murder or whatever. And then they're like, oh yeah. He's like, yeah, she would have been 13 at the time come on, think real hard about it. Okay. Meaning like they was trying to recall. uh, No one's suggesting that the brothers did anything, but perhaps they know something else that was going down at that time. Well, it's possible that the duct tape, I mean, it sounds like the duct
1: tape came from her house.
0: So I also wonder, well, some people wonder why the grandparents weren't looked into more.
1: I'm wondering why everyone in the house wasn't looked into. Like I'm wondering why, you know, they're, you said there was multiple people there. That yeah. if the duct tape came from that house. She seems like the most unlikely suspect.
0: Yeah, in a house full of likely suspects, people that were you said that associates of, kind of the victim. You also had said some of these people had run-ins with the
1: law. So I almost feel like, all of them did. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I don't see any motive. I don't see any history. I don't yeah. see I don't see any reason other than these fingerprints that could be explained. You know, different ways for her to have been incarcerated, uh, convicted of the crime.
0: And I think no one on the prosecution side really knows what role, if any, she played in the murder. I mean, at worst, she could have been a child under duress of an adult and thereby possibly a victim in this case as well.
1: Well, they could have used that if they as her defense. That's what I'm that, saying. There's uh, like these,
0: other, you know, there's these other possibilities that I don't think were ever explored.
1: I don't think they cared. No. No, it's it's disappointing, especially when you think about her being a 13-year-old. I mean, this sounds like a very—I won't say very clear because I don't know the case well, but it does sound like a wrongful conviction to me.
0: Well, regardless of if you think she's guilty or innocent, I think it's clear that the prosecution did not prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. There are too many issues— and in a case like this, there's no justice for the victim because we don't know what happened. I wonder
1: about cases like this. I haven't served on a jury. I know Alan did, which was really illuminating to hear because he served on a murder trial, right? And a an, he was a juror in a murder trial. He was, and he, you know, was explaining to me how like they couldn't come to certain conclusions because of this doubt. And I wonder, in some of these cases, that where I'm totally shocked and I see so much room for doubt you know, what happens, like what's the, uh, jury psychology is one of the most interesting areas. What happens in that room and, you know, how do they come to these decisions? Because reasonable doubt is supposed to be a very high standard.
0: I also think in a situation like this, they're looking at Angel as a 23-year-old woman. Right. It's hard to visualize the 13-year-old. I think it's different if a 13-year-old Angel was sitting there. Right. But I think that probably worked against her as well. Because if you look at pictures of Angel when she was 13, she was like a little thing. She was like 80 pounds, five feet, cute little girl. Like if you had that girl in front of you, I think it would have been difficult to say that she committed this crime. But Okay, fair um, enough, You're, you're right. You know, other than the question of why this case was not in juvenile court, I think many people might be wondering, this case is 10 years old, at what point is the Statue of Limitations up? Well, I don't think there is one on homicide.
1: There is not. Because for certain cases, there is. I know for sexual assault and I know for other crimes. But for homicide,
0: I don't think that ever happens. No. So, I mean, if you, you know, Megan, if I stole something from you today and they didn't catch, you know, let's say new evidence emerged 20 years from now. Right you know, because of the stature of limitations, I cannot be tried for theft. That's true. But when I caught you for doing
1: that, I would punish you myself. <laughs>
0: but all
1: right. Point being
0: understood. Yeah, but there's for homicide, no, yeah, there's homicide. no statute of limitations. If you, if you murder somebody, it doesn't matter how much time has passed. I've heard of cases where decades have passed. Oh, absolutely. I've definitely
1: heard of cases like that, too. So all right. Fingerprint analysis. Is this considered a junk
0: science? I'm not really sure. I do teach it under junk science in my wrongful conviction class. And the interesting thing is, it seems scientific on the surface. Yeah. And everyone's surprised because, you know, I'll teach about like bite mark analysis or hair analysis. Uh And those seem to be more obviously, quote, junk science. Okay. But the problem with fingerprint analysis is that it's not a surefire method of identification. Mm. A lot of people think, oh, well, no two fingerprints are alike, right? Well, Yes and no. The problem is that very rarely do you get a full intact fingerprint. Mm -hmm. If you were to look at a full intact fingerprint, yes, that is correct. No two fingerprints are alike. Right. However, at the scene of crimes, you're usually almost always actually relying on partial prints Mm -hmm. and then you have an expert analyze it. Right. And when an expert analyzes fingerprints, they're looking at partial prints, like I said. Mm -hmm. So they're determining how many points Match, right. like you mentioned before. Right. And the problem is, even among experts, as with a lot of things, there's disagreement as to how many of the points should correlate in order to determine a, quote, match. So, you know, some experts will say that matching as few as 12 points, which is the case in Tennessee at the time of Angel's case, not long ago, it, obviously it could change at any point. Okay. But So some experts say that a match can be determined by as few as 12 points. So some states will go by that, whereas other places will say there needs to be 20 points necessary to determine a match. So wow, I mean, that's a big difference. Yeah, like if experts can not agree on what determines a, a match, then how can we expect juries to be able to understand this? Yeah, I, I I completely agree with you. And obviously, I'd like to see a higher standard, I think, you know. Also, but- even if, Megan, let's just say there was a complete fingerprint lifted from a crime scene. How do you even say that that proves beyond a reasonable doubt that that person did the crime? There could be other reasons why people's fingerprints are at scenes.
1: Uh, that's totally true. Could be it,
0: it proves that the person was at the location, but it doesn't prove maybe not because that's if you true. have well, yeah. you know
1: we're talking about this tape. If Angel wasn't at the house, then it doesn't prove that at all. And there's definitely been other cases where murder weapons, um, you know, like a knife has been touched somewhere and then taken, transported. So exactly. it doesn't even mean that
0: you're right. And I think at the very least there needs to be corroborating evidence if you're going to use this type of science. I don't think it is fair to convict someone solely on evidence that is shaky. I agree. We want higher standards
1: for convictions.
0: Did you know that some federal courts have ruled that fingerprint evidence actually does not meet? The Daubert standard? No, I didn't, because I always thought they were admissible, but I
1: I didn't realize. Most courts, most
0: courts will allow experts to testify whether or not a fingerprint is considered to be a match, but it's up to the jury to determine how reliable they believe that testimony
1: to be. So that's one of the standards, the Daubert and the Fry standards. These are the two standards for what is acceptable for expert testimony in a court of law. You know, they guide what what science and what expert testimony can be admitted into courts. And there are two different standards applied by states and by the federal government.
0: And I don't think it's fair to expect a jury of lay people to be able to understand these things that we can barely understand and we study this.
1: I I totally agree.
0: All right. So, Megan, I mean, I guess there's not really theories to discuss here, but... I mean, did the system get it right? I, Based on what you told me,
1: no, no, and I don't think so. I mean, it, I don't think so. However, I, I feel like maybe, I don't know why I say this because I don't think it's clear, but I feel like maybe she'll get an appeal. I just have a, just an inkling that something's going to happen and work in the right direction for her.
0: I hope so, but we can't deny the fact that even if her case gets overturned, that's three years out of her life, taken away from her children. Who knows the effects that's going to have on that? Now she, you know, got taken away. Remember, she was on her, she was supposed to start nursing school. Her whole life has been ripped apart. Oh,
1: no. The domino effect of the consequences and collateral consequences will be far reaching and long standing. And even if she gets an appeal, Amy, you know this better. Like, what, How? what's the average time innocent people sit in prison? Isn't it something like 12 years? I was going to say a decade in a lot of cases. Right. So, I mean, we're talking about a lot more time here. I'm just hoping at, at the very
0: least she gets a second look. As I said before, you know, this is not just an injustice for Angel. This is an injustice for the Bonner family as well. I would have to agree. What um, if
1: people are interested in looking at this case or like helping or doing something? What can people do?
0: So people can go to change.org where there's a petition right now that has over 850,000 signatures. Wow. That's huge for our change.org petition. That's a lot. So you can go there and sign the petition, which is focused on the demand for a retrial. Mm-hmm. You can also send a letter to the judge. There's a link to a template. Okay. On the change.org page to the judge, huh? Okay. Yep. And a lot of I've seen a lot of mention of people writing the governor of Tennessee, trying okay. to demand we don't want an appeal. We just want clemency. Oh, all right. Yeah, she has a lot of supporters, and I think the I think the goal is just to get her out of prison. Well, I have to say in that regard,
1: she's one of the lucky ones or luckier ones because she has a lot of support. I mean, a lot of the people that we hear about are on their own. So I mean, it's it's a good sign that there's a lot of public support and
0: public interest in this
1: case. And I know
0: you're going to keep us updated, right? I am. And Please, if this case struck a chord with you at all, please go sign that petition, share the story, and hopefully, you know, we'll see some justice in this case. All right, Amy. Thanks for that story today. Appreciate it. All right. Well, before we go today, let's take a moment to answer some questions from our patrons. Great. What do we have? All right, Megan, our first question from Karen. She wants to know about Mary Bell, who is on my list. So let's not talk too much about it because we'll probably do a whole episode. But as Karen says, people say that Mary Bell is psychopathic and has no real remorse. But I have always thought she was just an innocent victim of her horrific upbringing. Perhaps she is a psychopath in the clinical sense, but I feel that this is simplifying the matter. I agree. I think it's simplifying
1: the matter. She was also a child um, and she had a Horrible she was 10 upbringing. years old.
0: Let's tell people that don't know. She was 10 years old when she murdered two preschool aged boys, which is a horrible crime, but committed by a child who was raised
1: in a very violent, unpredictable, unstable environment. So I think simply calling her psychopathic. Um, while she may display traits, I think that's way oversimplifying. I agree with your position, Karen.
0: Yeah. And as far as I know, she once she was released in her 20s, she led a law-abiding li- law life, which makes me believe maybe she was, in fact, given the skills she needed to rehabilitate while she was Yeah. Maybe away. she learned coping mechanisms, grew up, was Wait, away But Wait, she from- went to prison as a 10-year-old? Yeah. Ju- juvenile
1: detention. Well, listen. If your daughter yeah. kills two preschool kids, I don't know if I want her <laughs>
0: hanging out in the living room. Oh no, but no, I just—that's just so young. Yeah, right? no, yeah young. I guess you have to do something with them, right? Yeah, juvenile <laughs> detention. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Karen. All right. So Amy has two questions, and I'm gonna—the I'm, reason why I'm allowing her two is because they're both really good. Oh, okay. But one of them's super fast, okay? Okay. And I love it. If you could have a tree in your backyard and grow any food in perpetuity with no negative health ramifications, what would your tree grow? Mine would be McDonald's fries. <laughs> What's yours, Amy?
1: <sighs> I'd have a bagel tree.
0: A bagel tree. Yep. I love it. Yep. I
1: I would have bagels every friggin' morning. Just so you know, sometimes with cream cheese, warm and toasted. Yum. Sometimes sausage, egg, and cheese. Oh, everything. That sounds good. Yep. Um, mine would have to be probably
0: cookies. I knew you chocolate were gonna, chip cookies. I knew you were going to yes. say something sweet. All right, good now question. It is a great question. <laughs> Now, I'm going to read a little bit about the next one. Okay. Um, so Amy's an early childhood specialist, and there's a quite a bit of discussion about preschool to prison pipeline. Ooh, and this is the yeah. way that poverty, disability, educational access, and other factors that begin in early childhood are linked to future incarceration and how this could be traced across a child's lifetime. So she would love to hear about this from the criminology side of things. Is this something that is talked about in your field as well? What are your thoughts on how we can help kids break free from the pipeline? I would love to hear your thoughts on the education system and the link between education reform and prison reform. Great question. Wow. That's a really good question. It's a mouthful. It is. And when I wrote back to Amy, I said, you know, this is a topic I would love to talk about on an episode. And it's interesting when you hear about the you know, school to prison pipeline, you mm-hmm. don't hear it really explaining women offending.
1: No, not as often as males. Yeah. You don't hear this as often. I happen to teach about this in one of my courses um, because I talk about uh, policies and zero tolerance in schools and how expelling, you know, students um, at a young age for more minor infractions will directly lead to these consequences.
0: Or having children go through metal
1: detectors to get into school and treating them like criminals. Absolutely. So I talk about this and I think the answer is probably yes, school reform in terms of You know, zero tolerance, you you can't throw it on a blanket on everything. Not every Mm -hmm. behavior should lead to, you know, an expelling or, you know, I think the way I think it would be better to encourage a more trusting environment in school, not pitting kind of teacher and student, uh, you know, as adversaries, Mm -hmm. uh, more cooperative, I think. Yep. I'm not I'm not a specialist, but I do talk about this and I do think it's very serious.
0: Yeah, I, I talk about it a lot when I teach in prison right and, you know because it's interesting to hear the students talking about you know their experiences mm-hmm. in early childhood and i definitely think that one way we can help kids break free from you know this quote pipeline mm-hmm. stop labeling children as bad and when children do something instead of like you said expelling them why don't we get to the root of the problem mm-hmm. figure out why they're acting out and maybe provide some services to help put them on the correct trajectory um, all right. Well, thank you all so much for listening, and we will catch you next time on Women and Crime. Women and Crime
1: is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer is James Varga, edited by Jose Alfonso. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime.
0: Sources for today's episode include change.org, a Accused, Guilty or Innocent, TheChattanoogan.com, News Channel 19, the Associated Press, the Augusta Chronicle, the Chattanooga Times, and the Innocence Investigations Facebook page.